0: I've got an exciting announcement for all you wonderful Send Me to Sleep listeners. Our back catalogue is now publicly available and completely free. You can listen to all our episodes, even the ones that used to be premium exclusives. This includes voice-only episodes and wonderful books like The Wizard of Oz, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, around the world in 80 days, and so many more, so please do go
1: back and find a brand new story to help you get a great sleep tonight. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 31 and 32 of Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 31 In which Fix, the detective, considerably furthers the interests of Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg found himself twenty hours behind time. Passepartout, the involuntary cause of this delay, was desperate. He had ruined his master. At this moment... The detective approached Mr. Fogg, and, looking him intently in the face, said, Seriously, sir, are you in great haste? Quite seriously. I have a purpose in asking, resumed Fix. Is it absolutely
0: necessary that you should be in New York? on the eleventh before nine o'clock in the evening the time that the steamer leaves for Liverpool it is absolutely necessary and if your journey had not been interrupted by these Indians you would have reached New York on the
1: morning of the eleventh yes with eleven hours to spare before the steamer left. Good. You are, therefore, twenty hours behind. Twelve from twenty leaves eight. You must regain eight hours. Do you wish to try to do so? On foot? asked Mr. Fogg. No, on a sledge replied Fix, on a sledge with sails. A man has proposed such a method to me. It was the man who had spoken to Fix during the night and whose offer he had refused. Phileas Fogg did not reply at once, but
0: Fix, having pointed out the man who was walking up and down in front of the station. Mr. Fogg went up to him. An instant after, Mr. Fogg and the
1: American, whose name was Mudge, entered the hut built just below the fort. There, Mr. Fogg examined a curious vehicle,
0: a kind of frame on two long beams a little raised in front like the runners of a sledge, and upon which there was room for five or six persons.
1: A high mast was fixed on the frame, held firmly by metallic lashings, to which was attached a large brigatine sail.
0: This mast held an iron stay, upon which to hoist
1: the jib-sail. Behind, a sort of rudder served to guide the vehicle. It was, in short, a sledge rigged like a sloop. During the winter, when the trains are blocked up by the snow,
0: these sledges make extremely rapid journeys across the frozen plains from one station to another. Provided with more sails than a cutter, and with the wind behind them, they slip over the surface of the prairies with a speed equal, if not superior to, that of the express trains. Mr. Fogg readily made a bargain with the owner
1: of this land craft. The wind was favourable, being fresh, and blowing from the west. The snow
0: had hardened, and Mudge was very confident of being able to transport Mr. Fogg in a few hours to Omaha.
1: Thence the train eastward ran frequently to Chicago and New York. It was
0: not impossible that the lost time might yet be recovered, and such an opportunity was not to be rejected. Not wishing to expose Uda to the discomforts of travelling in the open air, Mr. Fogg proposed to leave her with Passepartout at Fort Kearney. The servant taking upon himself to escort her to Europe by a better route and under more favourable conditions. But Uda refused to separate from Mr. Fogg, and Passepartout was delighted
1: with her decision, for nothing could induce him to leave his master while Fix was with him. It would be difficult to guess the detective's thoughts,
0: was this conviction shaken by Phileas Fogg's return, or did he still regard him as an exceedingly shrewd rascal, who, his journey round the world completed, would think himself absolutely safe in England? Perhaps Fix's opinion of Phileas Fogg was somewhat modified, but he was, nevertheless, resolved to do his duty and to hasten the return of the whole party to England as much as possible.
1: At eight o'clock the sledge was ready to start. The passengers took their place on it and
0: wrapped themselves up closely in their travelling cloaks. The two great sails were hoisted and under the pressure of the wind, the sled slid over the hardened snow
1: with a velocity of forty miles an hour. The distance between Fort Kearney and
0: Omaha, as the birds fly, is at most two hundred miles. If the wind held good, the distance might be traversed in five hours. If no accident happened, the sledge might reach Omaha by one
1: o'clock. What a journey! The travellers, huddled close together, could not speak for the cold,
0: intensified by the rapidity at which they were going. The sledge sped on as slightly as a boat over the waves, when the breeze came skimming the earth, the sledge seemed to be lifted off the ground by its sails.
1: Mudge, who was at the rudder, kept it in a straight line, and by a turn of his hand, checked the
0: lurches which the vehicle had a tendency to make. All the sails were up, and the jib was so arranged as not to to screen the brigantine. A topmast
1: was hoisted, and another jib, held out to the wind, added its force to the other sails. Although
0: the speed could not be exactly estimated, the sledge could not be going less than forty miles an hour. If nothing breaks, said Mudge, we shall get there, Mr. Fogg had made it for Mudge's interest to reach Omaha within the time agreed on, by the offer of a handsome reward. The prairie, across which the sled was moving in a straight line, was as flat as the sea. It seemed like a vast, frozen lake. The railroad which ran through this section ascended from the southwest to the northwest by Great Island,
1: Columbus, an important Nebraska town, Shula and Vermont to Omaha. It follows throughout the right bank of the Platy River. The sledge, shortening this route, took a chord of the arc described by the railway.
0: Mudge was not afraid of being stopped by the Platy River
1: because it was frozen. The road, then, was quite clear of obstacles, and Phileas Fogg had but two things to fear an accident to the sledge and a change or calm in the wind. But the breeze, far from lessening its force,
0: Blew as if to bend the mast, which, however, the metallic lashings held firmly. These lashings, like the chords of a stringed instrument, resounded as if vibrated by a violin bow. The sledge slid along in the midst of the plaintively intense melody.
1: Those chords give the fifth and the octave, said Mr. Fogg. These were the only
0: words he uttered during the journey. Uda, cozily packed in furs and cloaks, was sheltered as much as possible from the attacks of the freezing wind. As for Paspar too, his face was as red as the sun's disc when it sets in the mist. And he laboriously inhaled the biting air. With his natural buoyancy of spirits, he began to open again. They would reach New York on the evening, if not on the morning, of the eleventh, and there were still some chances that it would be before the steamer sailed for Liverpool. Pas-petu
1: even felt a strong desire to grasp his ally, fix, by the hand.
0: He remembered that it was the detective who procured the sledge, the only means of reaching Omaha in time,
1: but, checked by some presentment, he kept his usual reserve. One thing, however...
0: Passepartout would never forget, and that was the sacrifice which Mr. Fogg had made, without hesitation,
1: to rescue him from the suey. Mr. Fogg had risked his fortune and his life. No, his servant would never forget that. While each of the party was absorbed in reflections
0: so different. The sledge flew past over the
1: vast carpet of snow. The creeks it passed over were not perceived. Fields and streamers
0: disappeared under the uniform whiteness. The plain was absolutely deserted between the Union Pacific Road The branch which unites Kearney with St. Joseph, It formed a great uninhabited island.
1: Neither village, station, nor fort appeared. From time to time they sped by some
0: phantom-like tree, Whose skeleton twisted and rattled in the wind. Sometimes flocks of wild birds rose, or bands of gaunt, famished, ferocious prairie wolves ran howling after the sledge. Passepartout, revolver in hand, held himself ready to fire on those which came too near.
1: Had an accident then happened to the sledge, the travelers, attacked by the beasts, would have been in
0: the most terrible danger. But it held on its even course, soon gained on the wolves, and ere long
1: left the howling band at a safe distance behind. About noon, much perceived
0: by certain landmarks that he was crossing the Platy River. He said nothing, but he felt certain that he was now within twenty miles of Omaha. In less than an hour, he left the rudder and furled his sails, whilst the sledge, carried forward by the great impetus the wind had given it, went on half a mile further with its sails unspread. It stopped at last, and mudge. Pointing to a mass of roofs,
1: white with snow, said, We have got there. Arrived, arrived at the station,
0: which is in daily communication, by numerous trains,
1: with the Atlantic seaboard. Passepartout and Fix jumped off, stretched their stiffened limbs,
0: and aided Mr. Fogg and the young woman to descend the sledge.
1: Phileas Fogg generously rewarded Mudge, whose hand Passepartout warmly grasped,
0: and the party directed their steps to the Omaha Railway Station. The Pacific Railroad proper finds its terminus at this important Nebraska town. Omaha is connected with Chicago by the Chicago and Rock Island Railroad, which runs directly east and passes 50 stations. A train was ready to start when Mr. Fogg and his party reached the station, and they only had time to get into the cars. They had seen nothing of Omaha. But Passepartout confessed to himself that this was not to be regretted, as they were not travelling to see the
1: sights. The train passed rapidly across the state of Iowa, by Council Bluffs, Des Moines, and Iowa City. During the night
0: it crossed the Mississippi and Davenport, and by Rock
1: Island. Entered Illinois. The next day, which was the 10th, at four o'clock in the evening,
0: it reached Chicago, already risen from its ruins, and more proudly seated than ever on the borders of its beautiful Lake Michigan. Nine hundred miles separated Chicago from New York, but trains are not. Wanting at Chicago. Mr. Fogg passed at once from one to the other, and the locomotive of Pittsburgh, Fort Wayne, and Chicago Railway left at full speed, as if it fully comprehended that the gentleman had no time to lose. It traversed Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey like a flash, running through towns with antique names, some of which had streets
1: and car trucks, but as yet no houses. At last the Hudson came into view,
0: and at a quarter past eleven in the evening of the eleventh, the train stopped in the station on the right bank of the river, before the very pier of the Cunard Line.
1: The china for Liverpool had started three-quarters of an hour before. Chapter 32 In which Phileas Fogg engages in a direct struggle with bad fortune. The china, in leaving, seemed to have carried off Phileas
0: Fogg's last hope. None of the other steamers were able to service his projects. The Perrier of the French Transatlantic Company, whose admirable steamers are equal to any in speed and comfort, did not leave
1: until the 14th. The Hamburg boats did not go directly to Liverpool or London, but to Havre, and the additional trip from
0: Havre to Southampton would render Phileas Fogg's last
1: efforts of no avail. The Inman steamer did not depart till the next day and could not
0: cross the Atlantic in time to save the wager. Mr. Fogg learned all of this in consulting his Bradshaw, which gave him the daily movements of the transatlantic steamers. Passepartout was crushed. It overwhelmed him to lose the boat by three quarters of an hour. It was his fault, for... Instead of helping his master, he had ceased putting obstacles in his path. And when he recalled all the incidents of the tour, when he counted up the sums expended in pure loss and on his own account, when he thought that the immense stake, added to the heavy charges of this useless journey, would complete ruin Mr. Fogg, he overwhelmed himself with
1: bitter self-accusation. Mr. Fogg, however, did not reproach him, and, on leaving the Cunard Pier, only said, We will consult about what is best tomorrow. Come.
0: The party crossed the Hudson in the Jersey City ferryboat and drove in a carriage to the St. Nicholas Hotel on Broadway. Rooms were engaged and the night passed briefly to Phileas Fogg, who slept profoundly, but very long to Uda and the others,
1: whose agitation did not permit them to rest. The next day was the 12th of December.
0: From seven in the morning of the 12th to a quarter before nine in the evening of the 21st, there were nine days,
1: three hours, and forty-five minutes. If Phileas Fogg had left in the China, one of the fastest
0: steamers on the Atlantic, he would have reached Liverpool and then London, within the period agreed upon. Mr. Fogg left the hotel alone, after giving Passepartout instructions to await his return, and inform Uda to be ready at an instant's notice. He proceeded to the banks of the Hudson, and looked about among the vessels moored or anchored in the river for any that were about to depart. Several had departure signals, and were preparing to put to sea at morning tide, for in this immense and admirable port there is not one day in a hundred that vessels do not set out for every quarter of the globe. But they were mostly sailing vessels, of which, of course,
1: Phileas Fogg could not make use. He seemed about to give up all hope when he espied,
0: anchored at the battery, a cable's length of, at most, a trading vessel, with a screw, well-shaped, whose funnel, puffing a cloud of smoke, indicated that she was getting ready for departure. Phileas Fogg hailed a boat, got into it, and soon found himself on
1: board the Henrietta, iron hulled, wood built above. He ascended to the deck and asked for the captain, who forthwith presented himself.
0: He was a man of fifty, a sort of sea wolf with big eyes. A complexion of oxidised copper,
1: red hair and thick neck and a growling voice. The captain asked Mr. Fogg. I am the captain. I am Phileas Fogg of London. And I am Andrew Speedy of Cardiff. You are going to put to sea in an hour. You are bound for, Bordeaux, and your cargo, no freight, going in ballast. Have you any passengers? No passengers, never have passengers, too much in the way. Is your vessel a swift one, between eleven and twelve knots? The Henrietta, well known. Will you carry me and three other persons to Liverpool? To Liverpool? Why not to China? I said Liverpool. No. No? No. I am setting out for Bordeaux and shall go to Bordeaux. Money is no object. None. The captain spoke in a tone which did not admit of a reply. But the owners of the Henrietta resumed Phileas Fogg. The owners are myself, replied the captain. The vessel belongs to me. I will freight it for you. No. I will buy it of you. No. Phileas Fogg did not betray the least disappointment,
0: but the situation was a grave one. It was not at New York as at Hong Kong, nor with the captain of the Henrietta as with the captain of the Tankadier.
1: Up to this time... Money had smoothed away every obstacle. Now, money failed.
0: Still, some means must be found to cross the Atlantic on a boat, unless by balloon, which would have been venturesome, besides not being capable
1: of being put in practice. It seemed that Phileas Fogg had an idea for he said to the captain, Well, will you carry me to Bordeaux? No, not if you paid me two hundred dollars. I offer you two thousand. A piece. A piece. And there are four of you. Four. Captain Speedy began to scratch his head. There were eight thousand dollars
0: to gain without changing his route, for which it was well worth conquering the repugnance he had for all kinds of passengers. Besides, passengers at two thousand dollars are no longer passengers but valuable
1: merchandise. I start at nine o'clock, said Captain Speedy simply. Are you and your party ready? We will be on board at nine o'clock, replied no less simply Mr. Fogg. It was half past eight to disembark from the
0: Henrietta, jump into a hack, hurry to the St. Nicholas, and return with Ooda, Passepartout, and even the inseparable fix was the work. Of a brief time, and was performed by Mr. Fogg with the coolness which
1: never abandoned him. They were on board when the Henrietta made ready to weigh anchor. When
0: Passepartout heard what this last voyage was going to cost,
1: He uttered the prolonged "Oh" which extended throughout his vocal. Gamute. As for Fix, he said to himself that the Bank of England
0: would certainly not come out of this affair well indemnified. When they reached England, even if Mr Fogg did not throw some handfuls of bank bills into the sea,
1: more than seven thousand pounds would have been spent.